0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We live in a world full of information, literally at our fingertips. Among all the claims of truth in the world, it can be hard to separate fact from fiction. This is often the case when it comes to the Christian faith. Do we understand the truth of what we believe and can we articulate it to others? In The Essentials, Why Truth Matters, we'll use the affirmations of the Apostles' Creed as a guide to teaching us the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Join us each week as we affirm the foundational truths of Christianity so we can stand on the bedrock of God's truth and share that good news with the world. All right, this morning if you have a Bible electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna begin this morning in verse 13. First Thessalonians four, chapter, chapter four, verse thirteen. You know, there's a common thread that goes throughout all of our lives, right? We don't have to live long in this world until we come to the harsh reality of pain, right? Pain is a reality of our lives, right? But not all pain is the same, right? You wake up in the morning and you quickly try to get around your bed and you stub your toe on the post of your bed, and you experience pain, right? Now, that's a pain that that can last a moment, but it's a pain that can bring you to your knees, right? You're like just waking up, and you're still not fully there, and all of a sudden you find yourself on the floor, your foot is in excruciating pain, and you're rolling over back and forth, and you're like, oh, my aching foot. But that's pain. But that pain is temporary. That pain goes away. We experience a variety of pain as we go throughout our lives. But I think the most, I think the, the deepest pain that we can experience on this side of heaven is the pain of losing a loved one. Right? You know, there, there are people that die every single day. People are dying right now, and it doesn't impact us. As much, right? You you may you may hear of people dying in tornadoes or earthquakes, and and it may grieve your heart for a moment, but it doesn't move you in the same way as when like one of your children die, or when a parent dies, or when a spouse dies, right? Death is that pain that we feel that is the deepest thing that we can experience, and it lasts the longest amount of time. Right? There, there are sometimes we, we grieve the death of a loved one that goes on for the rest of our lives. And death is that deep pain that we experience. It hurts us so deeply. And it's a pain that we experience that we're so uncomfortable with. Because in some ways, this is not how it was supposed to be. When God created us, he created us to be in perfect fellowship with him. He created us to be eternal. But then sin entered in the world and it messed everything up. Sin corrupted everything and death became a reality as a consequence of our sin. And so when we feel this deep, pain it reminds us that things are not okay this world is not okay this world is broken and we hurt so deeply so how do we cope well the world tells us when you deal with that kind of pain just quickly deny it Right? Drown it out. Do whatever you can. Don't deal with it. Just try to push it away. Push it way down deep so you never have to feel it. Discard it. Stay busy so you no longer have to feel it. But today, I want us to look at God's word. And I want us to see that even in the death and the decay that we walk through every single day of this life, we see that there's hope. That God gives us hope as we walk through the pains of life. Today, we're gonna to conclude our series entitled Essentials Why Truth Matters. Over the past nine weeks, we've been walking through essential doctrines or essential beliefs of the Christian faith. We started way back several months or a month ago or so looking at the truth from the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in God the Almighty Father, creator of heaven and earth. That's where we started in the fact of understanding that there is one God who has created all things, and to this God we are all accountable. And from there we looked at our belief in in Christ, and we believe in his resurrection, we believe in the church, we believe in forgiveness of sins. We've looked at a lot of great statements that are the foundations of our faith, but today I want us to see and understand the deepest part of our hope. See, for today, we're going to look at the truth that I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Right? This is our hope. Our hope is that this is not as good as it gets. Right? This is the land of the dying and, and death and decay and destruction. But for those who are in Christ, this is as bad as it gets. Those who are in Christ have the hope that we will be resurrected. And we're going to look at that more quickly in a moment. But we have the promise of being resurrected and have life everlasting. This is our hope. From ages past, Christians have confessed the truth that the resurrection is coming. The resurrection is coming. And I think in some ways, as believers today, we've kind of lost this, the awe of that truth. Right, when I just said the resurrection was, is coming, was there a part in your heart that just leapt? Or were you just like, yeah, the resurrection's coming? Right? I mean, the resurrection is coming. You guys will get there. I know it's, it's still early. I know. I get it. But the, re- the resurrection is our hope. I, I'm, I'm challenged every single day in my own life that the, re- the power of the resurrection has lost its power in our lives because we're so overwhelmed in this present world where we are bombarded by false securities, where we're bombarded by false hopes, so much so that we think that once we have this next thing and we have this next thing, then we'll be fulfilled. And guess what? We get that next thing, and then we're not fulfilled. And we're like, okay, well, what's the greatest thing about life? And the world tells us it's the next thing. And I want to tell you, it's not the next thing. It's not getting married. It's not having a job. It's not having kids. It's not having grandkids. It's not retirement. The greatest thing is the resurrection. Because that is our hope. And today as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, that's what we're talking about. Paul is writing this letter to the church, to the believers in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica, the, this church here was a church that Paul helped plant. And now as he's writing them in words of encouragement, he's wanting to remind them of certain things. Because as they go through life, they, they sometimes can get confused, just as we can get confused. And so Paul here is writing them about specific concerns that he sees as they're a growing, maturing church. He wanted them, he wanted them to guard themselves about specific things. And today in our passage, we're going to see specifically he wants them to know about the resurrection, There's something about the resurrection that helps us walk through the pain and grief of life today. There's something about it. And I hope today we're able to capitalize how the hope of the resurrection helps us deal with the pains of life today. Today, Paul is going to give us three ways that, as believers, we are to live in light of the resurrection. While we wait for the resurrection, this is how we should live. Paul gives us three ways. The first, as we wait for the resurrection, we are to grieve with hope. Grieve with hope. Look with me in verse 13 of chapter 4. Paul writes, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul is encouraging us to grieve with hope. You see, the Thessalonians had a problem. They were challenged with a problem and an issue of knowledge. You see, they were uninformed. They were ignorant about those who had fallen asleep. Now, th- this term, fallen asleep, is, is a term that we see throughout the New Testament that really refers to believers that have died. Right? Those who have fallen asleep is, is another uh, way of saying believers who have died. So that's what he's, what he's talking about here. He says, I want you to not be informed about those who have fallen asleep. See, the Thessalonians were ignorant about the fact of what happens when they die and they were living in a culture that dealt with death in a specific way and they were, had begun adopting those practices into their own faith. The world grieves in this way and so the church believed they were supposed to grieve in the same way as the world and Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't grieve in the way that you see the world grieving because they have no hope. Instead, we are to grieve because we have hope. That seems counterintuitive, right? Grieve deeply because you have hope? Absolutely, because there's a gift in grieving. There's a gift in grieving that the world does not understand. The world cannot experience. In some ways, how we grieve is a testimony of our faith in Christ. If we grieve well, we make much of Christ. If we grieve little, we make little of Christ. That doesn't seem to make sense, but that's what Paul is saying here. We grieve as those who have hope. Paul here is pointing to the truth that when we trust in Christ... When we come to the place of trusting in Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have this beautiful proposition of being in Christ. This is one of the beautiful things that Paul writes about in his other writings in the New Testament. It's this idea that we're no longer in the world, but we are in Christ. And being in Christ affords us specific things. First, speaking in Christ affords us that we are not just generally united to Christ but we are specifically united to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. So in other words of saying that, his death counts as our death, and his, his resurrection guarantees our future resurrection. I love how Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. He says, we, being those who believe in Christ, were buried therefore with him in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The hope that we have in Christ is that we will experience a resurrected life. That though our body will die, This body that I'm currently in, the body that you currently are in, is going to die. But the hope that we have in Christ is that we will be resurrected, that we will experience the same resurrection power that Christ experienced, we will experience it ourselves. Now, as a pastor, I've had a lot of opportunities to not only attend funerals or memorial services, but I've had opportunities to lead in memorial services and Funerals. And most of the, I've had the blessing of most of the services that I've done or been a part of have been believers. And there's something special about attending the funeral or memorial service of a believer. It's a celebration of life, it's a celebration of a homegoing, of one that is going to be absent from the body, but to be present with the Lord, which is our ultimate hope. But I've also been to funerals and memorial services of unbelievers. These are difficult. These are difficult to walk through. And you know what? I hear it both. And I'm not, I'm not one to sit and judge whether a person has faith or not. That's, that's not my, my point. But there, you go to some services where everyone is like that person was not a believer, but they still say the same thing. That person is in a better place. No matter, no matter where you go, you may have someone that's an atheist their whole life and you'll go to their funeral and, and somehow we, we come up with these pithy sayings to, to, to help our, our grieving hearts cope or, or to, to drown out the pain that we really feel. Because right? if you're a believer and you question the salvation of someone and you attend their funeral, that should cause you to weep the whole time. that should cause you to have nightmares at night because you know that person is not in the presence of the Lord. But instead of dealing with those harsh realities, instead of really thinking through that and allowing our hearts to be broken, we just give the pithy saying, oh, that person's in a better place. That's not true. It's not true. Not everyone that dies goes to a better place. There are two places that our eternity is. Either we will be in the presence of the Lord in heaven or we will be in a place called hell. Those that that live their lives rejecting Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their end is hell. Where for eternity, the Bible says, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where the powerful wrath of God is being poured out on those that are disobedient for all eternity. You can either allow you to receive the the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus, or you can receive the wrath of God that's poured out on yourself. That's that's it. But yet we live in a world where people want to somehow soothe their conscience. And in reality, unbelievers have no hope. They don't really grieve. They push the pain down, they deny it, they drown it out. They, they want to just think in their mind, well, that person just ceases to exist, that's, that's all there is, I'm sorry that they're gone. But they really, have, they, they really have no category, unbelievers have no category for really dealing with grief. They can feel something, but they don't have a category for, grie- for really grieving And Paul is telling us here is that we as believers are not to grieve like that. We're not to grieve like the world does. But the sad truth that I've experienced in my own life, and I know many of you have probably experienced in your own life, maybe we've come to this passage and we get to the point where Paul says um, that you may not grieve. We get there and we stop. In our own lives, we're like, okay, well, I, I, this does, how does this work out for me? Somehow we stop there because as Christians, we're supposed to have joy. We're supposed to have joy in all of our circumstances. We're supposed to have peace that passes all understanding. And we're supposed to do all these things. But yet, that's hard to do when we've just lost a loved one. And so we get to this passage and we're like, Paul says, um, I don't want you to grieve we're like, okay, I'm not going to grieve. I'm I'm not going there. I'm not going to experience the loss and the hurt and the pain. I'm just not going to do it. If you stop there, you're doing exact, you're counterdoing exactly what Paul tells us not to do. Paul says, I don't want you to grieve as those who have no hope. Move on and embrace the whole sentence, what Paul was saying. Those who have no hope grieve by not dealing with grief. By putting it away, they refuse to feel the loss of a loved one. And I want us to understand today, church, the resurrection gives us freedom to feel the loss in its fullness. The resurrection, I'm going to say it again, the resurrection gives us as believers the freedom to feel the loss in its fullness. You know, we, when we walk through these seasons of grieving, we have a tendency to say things like, dry those tears. Stop crying. We should stop responding in that way. We should stop telling each other to stop our tears. Instead, we should be encouraging one another to let them flow. Let them flow. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna... I'm going to get you to where I'm at through showing you how Jesus responds. You see, there's a great healing that comes through expressing godly grief. Let me remind you, if you don't have time, uh, we don't have time this morning, but if you have time this afternoon, I encourage you to read John chapter 11. I'm going to give you an overview of it real quickly. But then test me on this and see that when you This afternoon, read through John 11. This is what you'll find We'll see how Jesus responds to grief. You see, there are three people: Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were brothers and sisters. They were part of a family. And John chapter eleven says in the very beginning that Jesus loves them, meaning that these people. Jesus loves the world, right? We know that, right? He said, "He though I have loved the world,' right? But there, even in Jesus's own heart, he has the capacity and gives access." to deeper parts of himself than he does all the crowds and in this case we see that there's a part of Jesus's heart that he's given access to of Mary Martha and Lazarus he loves them with a love that is deeper than he gives to the general public because of his humanity so in some ways we know this is true in our own experience there are some people that you've allowed closer to your heart than you've allowed others Right? Maybe, maybe your coworkers are probably here, but then your family is like right here and your kids are like even deeper in there, right? Like that's, we understand that. And this is what, what um, John is trying to tell us about Jesus. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They had personal access to Jesus. They weren't just acquaintances, but they shared a special bond of love. And so word comes to Jesus as he's off just a few miles away that Lazarus is sick and he's dying. And what does Jesus do, though he loves Lazarus? He stays there, away for four days. And while he's away, Lazarus dies. But Jesus also knows in, in John chapter 11, he knows his mission. He, Jesus goes to his disciples and he says this in John eleven eleven. he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So understand what's going on. Jesus, being fully God and fully man, is, understands that Lazarus, someone that he loves, dies. He also understands his mission, that he's going to go and he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That Lazarus is, is asleep, the same term that we see in our passage in 1 Thessalonians. A believer has died, so he's asleep. And Jesus was going to go there to show his power over death. Jesus knows the outcome, but that doesn't stop himself from opening himself to grieving. So Jesus comes into town as, after Lazarus has been dead and he's been put in the tomb. He comes into town and as he gets close to the house, he sees the house that where Mary and Martha and Lazarus live are full of people that are grieving and mourning and crying because Lazarus is dead. Jesus comes closer and when everyone is grieving, we see when Jesus saw that they were weeping, Jesus was deeply moved in his spirit, it says, and he was greatly troubled. Jesus' spirit was moved and he was troubled. That means sensing the scenario, knowing that Lazarus is dead, Jesus is entering into allowing this experience of a loss of a loved one to impact his heart. Sometimes we see Jesus of the, of the Bible as being this, this stoic character that walks through and feels no pain, feels no loss. But this passage says the contrary. Right? Jesus comes and he, he's sensing the room, he's experiencing himself, he's giving himself over to grieve at the same time. And how does he respond? Well, Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus is and the shortest passage of all scriptures is this, Jesus wept. Now, take that in for a moment. Jesus knows in just a few minutes, he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead and he's gonna grab him around the neck and he's gonna say, Lazzy, I'm so glad you're back. Like he knows that's gonna happen in just a moment, but he's not getting there just yet. Instead, in his grief, it says that Jesus wept. And we go on and the witnesses that were there there were Jewish witnesses that see this, and this is what they say. After they see Jesus weeping, this is what they say. See how much he loved them. Our grief for that which is lost allows us to display to the world our love. Right? We're the ones that love. Right? We love because God first loved us, and the way that we show love is we grieve when someone that we love dies. Jesus is grieving and he's showing his expression of love. Jesus grieves in hope because he knows in a moment Lazarus is coming back. Even though he knows it, he still allows his heart to feel it. So church today, even though we know it, Even though we know those whom we love that have already passed, that are in Christ, and those whom we know now that will die before we do, that are in Christ, we know that we will see them again. We know that of the resurrection. We know that truth. But, church, here today, that grieving is a gift. There's one day, the scripture tells us, that there will be no more tears. But for now, there are tears. And our tears are a part of our healing. Our tears allow our hearts to speak about how much we value that which was lost. Hear that? Like when we grieve, it speaks to how much it hurts us that this person is no longer here. They should hurt us as we truly love one another and we walk in relationship with one another and we give people access to our hearts. When they're gone, when they're ripped away, it should feel like they're ripped away. And we should grieve. As followers of Christ, we should allow our love for a person to be known through the ways in which we grieve. Your weeping tells the world that this person was known Your weeping allows the world to know this person was loved and your weeping allows this person and the world to know that this person mattered. This wasn't someone just passing through but this person deeply impacted you and you are a different person because of this person. It's okay to be needy people in this world. We are people that are in desperate need of other people. And when God blesses us with other people and they are removed from our lives, that should hurt. For when we mourn loss, we honor life. And the more we love, the more we lose. But we grieve in hope, knowing that it doesn't end here because there will be a resurrection there will be a time when those that have died will be raised again. So Christians, we have hope. Our hope is in Christ, that he died in our place and rose on our behalf. And if we believe in him and trust in him, though our bodies will die, we will be raised again. So quickly, we grieve in with hope. Second, we anticipate Christ's return. Look at me in verse 15. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, those who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who had fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The fulfillment of our hope comes when Christ returns. The fulfillment of our hope comes when Christ returns. Our hope began when Christ came as a baby in a manger. Our hope begins there. Then our hope was sealed at the cross. Our hope was sealed. It was the promise that because Christ was raised from the dead, that we too will be raised again. And so the fulfillment of our hope comes when Christ return. And in this passage, we see and we're reminded that, that, that Paul is kind of showing us the difference. Remember when Christ came first? The first time he came, he came in obscurity. Right? Only a few handful of people knew that he was here. Right, he was a baby born in a manger in an obscure little town called Bethlehem. Not even There's no room in the inn, so he was out in the middle and laid in a manger, all of that. Right, but look at when he comes again. He, he's not coming in obscurity. When he comes again, he's coming in full visibility. He's coming with authority. He's coming with power. Verse 16 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of the command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. So when Jesus comes again, the world is going to see it. It will be impossible to miss. And what Paul is trying to do here for the Thessalonians is he's trying to clear some things up. Not only is Jesus coming back, but he's coming back and there's some questions about who's going to rise and how is it going to rise and when we're going to rise. And sometimes we even have questions like that. Right? We come to this passage, we're like, okay, well, when the resurrection happens, is it going to become pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, whatever? And I'm not even going to get into that right now. Because we, we don't have time. If you look at the clock, you're like, hurry, got to put a bow on it, Pastor. <laughs> it's never that easy. Quite simply, what he's saying is when Jesus returns... It's going to be marvelous because there will be some believers that will be alive. Some believers will be here on earth, they'll see Christ returning, and they'll be like, oh my goodness, it's happening. It's real! It's happening right now, oh my goodness. And then what they'll see is you'll see those that have died that are asleep will be raised and they'll be going into the heaven. As Christ is coming down, they will meet Jesus in the air and then what's gonna happen, those of us that are alive at that time, guess what? We'll be going up with them and we'll be going up into heaven to be with Jesus forever. Can I get an amen? resurrection is what we all hope for because this life is terrible (laughs) and so many times we are guilty you've heard the idiom right missing the forest for the trees sometimes you and I are guilty of living life with the tree right in front of us just like that and all you can see when you look up a tree that close like all you see is the bark and you see the, the, the rippling of the bark, and you see the, 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 the uh, mangled mess that it all is. Because if you look at a tree really, really closely, it's not a beautiful thing. Right? It looks like pain. It looks like torture. And sometimes that's how we see life. It's just like that. Yes, life is full of pain. Yes, life is full of torture. But, but what Paul is reminding us here is that we're to be anticipating the resurrection, Like sometimes just say, Lord, help me take a step back. Help me not miss the forest for the tree. Yeah, let me experience my pain. Let me experience all that. But sometimes I need to be reminded this is not as good as it gets. This is supposed to be difficult because in our difficulty, it reminds us that we are needy people and it's okay to be needy. But your greatest need is a savior. If you don't have that, you have no hope. So Paul is saying, don't miss the forest for the trees. Sometimes we forget that the ultimate victory is coming. The ultimate victory is not getting the new job. The ultimate victory is not getting a nicer house or a better car. Sometimes we get confused. Those aren't the greater victories, because guess what? All of those things will be done away with. When you stand before God in heaven and have to give an account for your life, he doesn't care how many letters are after your name or before your name. He doesn't care how many titles you have, how many degrees. you. None of this stuff matters. All that's going to matter is what you did with Jesus. So we grieve with hope. We anticipate Christ's return. And thirdly, we comfort one another. Look with me in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, again, there's that word therefore, right? And we need to see what it's there for. It's therefore, because this is the culmination of all the things that he's just said. Right? The, the, the fact that there are those that are in Christ will receive a resurrection. The fact that Jesus is coming back again and gives us the hope of the resurrection, we're supposed to encourage one another with these words. Now, I love this, because we are to encourage one another. The context of our comfort is in spiritual community. Sometimes we want to take our grief and we want to take our pain in this life and we want to move towards isolation where we want to hold it to ourselves and we're going to, we want to go to the closet and we want to say, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, All oh, this hurts so bad, woe is me. But that's not the context of what we're supposed to be doing. Paul literally says, comfort one another. We need each other. We're not to live this Christian life alone, but we come with our pain to others and say, I hurt, I hurt. And then what do we do? We comfort one another with what? The truth of the gospel. Right? We comfort one another with these words. The gospel tells us that God knows you. God knows you. Yeah, God is, God is busy about you know, caring for the world and caring for the universe and all that. But in the midst of all that, guess what? God knows you. That's what the gospel tells us. For God so loved the world. That's you and that's me. So God knows us. The gospel also tells us that Jesus loves us. He has great love for us in the fact that he came towards us and did the work. The gospel tells us that Jesus died for us. And the gospel tells us that Jesus is coming again to resurrect us. So though I'm in pain, we know that we are not alone. And you know, each one of us live our lives telling ourselves our own story. Every single day, you tell yourself a story about what's true about you or what you think. And guess what? It's possible that you are telling yourself lies. Lies that say, hey, I'm not good enough. Lies that say, I'll never measure up. No one can love me. That's why we need spiritual community. Because in spiritual community, we're to comfort one another with these words. Where together we say, guess what? I know you. I see you. I know your pain. And guess what? Jesus loves you. I I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe, maybe today, like you finally have felt the freedom to finally grieve, that's okay. That's how we honor those we love. When they're taken from our lives, we allow the world to know how important they were because they meant something to us. They were a gift of, from God to us for a season in our life. And when they're gone, it hurts. But we hurt in community. So maybe you're here today and you've never come to trust Jesus and your Lord and Savior. I encourage you, I implore you, let that be your response today. Come to him and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come take control of my life and forgive me and he will. Maybe you've been living life on your own. And the reminder today is that you need spiritual community. You do. You can't do it on your own. Maybe today your response is, hey, I need to come and be a part of this church family. You can join our church. You can become a part by participating in life groups and other ways. We do have our Next Steps class, which is a great way for you to learn about church membership and what that means. But let us not just take the words that we've heard today. Let us not grieve as those who have no hope. Instead, let us, while we wait for Christ's return, to grieve and wait and hope together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words this morning. Thank you, Father, that you understand our grief. I thank you that you give us Grief is a gift so that it will remind us of our need. And Father, as you've done that this morning to some in this place, I pray, God, that they would bring their need to you, but they would bring their need to others. Father, you don't call us to suffer in silence, but you call us to suffer well in community. And yeah, life's not always full of joy. It's not all rainbows and butterflies. But Father, you promise that we have hope because this pain is going away. But Father, help us to wrestle well as we wait for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family.